And a very good afternoon, not quite evening yet to you. Welcome to uh, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 5th of July 2022. Uh, the brilliant Irish writer, journalist, broadcaster, intellectual John Waters joins the programme at around about 5.30. I'll tell you why in a minute. Interesting news out of Ireland. Not great news, but interesting news. I'll be taking your comments on the website richieallen.co.uk as usual. If you'd like to speak to me, do it via the website. Use the live comment feature at the top of the menu bar. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Ireland's Supreme Court has upheld a decision to dismiss Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters' challenge to the constitutionality of the laws introduced in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's according to Ireland.ie. In a 6-to-1 decision, the Supreme Court's ruling brings to an end a controversial legal action commenced shortly after the state introduced various regulations and measures in response to COVID. So John Waters will be on the programme to talk about that. As I said, around about 5.30, you can join in. I'm sure you've got an opinion on it or opinions on it. Uh, The best way to do that is, uh, as I said, through my website. That's today's programme, July 5th. Yeah. So that's right. So the the High Court and then the Appeal Court had said that John and Gemma didn't have the right to challenge the constitutionality of laws introduced in response to COVID. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court. That decision was handed down this morning. And people will be disappointed. But I'd like to, to I don't know, a little bit of, um, I suppose, reality. It was never likely the Supreme Court in Ireland was going to to say to Gemma and John, yes, you do have a right to challenge the constitutionality of the laws, so have at it. That was unlikely. As I said, lots to talk about. I've had a lot of emails about this today with lots of points you want me to make to John Waters. I'll do that when he joins the programme later this hour. I think they deserve all the credit in the world for taking it to the, to the Supreme Court to begin with and making an argument. And I think they have shamed the Irish media and shamed the Irish political establishment. That's what I think they've done. I think they're great. Uh, like I said, a bit later on, we'll talk in great detail about that. Uh, Angela Rayner is the deputy leader of the Labour Party. She was speaking last night and said that she doesn't allow Hansard to correct her grammar in Parliament in order to stay true to her working class roots. Hansard is the parliamentary record. Everything that is said in the House of Commons is recorded and it is written down, it is preserved, word for word, by Hansard, which uh, sometimes gets in touch with MPs to say, would you like us to correct your grammar, correct something you said, use the proper syntax? But Angela Rayner said, no, no, because I'm a working class person, this is how I speak. And uh, there's been a bit of fun with this today, I noticed around social media, and also 
on the online news websites as well. I'm a working class girl. This is how I speak. Take it or leave it, she said. I was the poorest of the poor. I had a baby very young. When I had a baby when I was very young. He should say, speaking of, speaking correctly. And uh, I was dirt poor, the poorest of the poor. And that the professionalisation of politics can be corrosive because it results in politicians speak. She says, if voters cannot see and hear people like them in public life, how can you blame them for feeling disconnected and thinking it's not for them? So she basically said, I'm a working class girl. If I sound like a working class girl, it'll mean that working class people will feel represented. But that is horse manure, isn't it, of course, dear listener? Because nobody got screwed harder by the fascistic lockdowns than poor people. And yet I don't remember Angela Rayner opening her mouth very often to oppose the draconian lockdown laws. Personally, I have no issue with any politician speaking however they feel they would like to speak. None whatsoever. I'm a working class lad from Ballybeg in Waterford. I'll tell you who I do take issue with. It's broadcasters. And I've said this before. People in public life, in politics, or I don't know, in other forms of entertainment, shouldn't be criticised for how they speak. But I think good grammar and thoughtful sentence construction, dear listener, should be prerequisite for professional broadcasters. That was drilled into me during my apprenticeship. That being said, you would be... I think, entitled to say, you've not always now, Richie. (laughs) Of course I haven't. Of course I haven't. I'm not working for a commercial or national broadcaster any longer. The reason I take issue with the, the, the poor use of grammar in or among broadcasters is because they are increasingly fast-tracking, inexperienced and largely untrained broadcasters to national radio to tick boxes and television as well, not just radio to tick boxes, to tick diversity boxes. And because they are fast-tracking, inexperienced and largely untrained broadcasters to national radio and TV gigs, it is my opinion that standards have plummeted. Think of the Olympics last year and young Alex Scott, who might be a nice woman. Sure she is, the former footballer who is everywhere these days. You can't turn over to the other side, as they used to say, without seeing Alex Scott on the telly. Horror of the, we're going live to the swimming and then the fencing, remember? Some old Tory MP took umbrage, took exception to her pronunciations and commented on it. And then, of course, he was, they wanted to cancel him. How dare he? You know, she's a working class girl, but I don't like it. I'm a working class boy, but I think if you're going to be broadcasting on the national airwaves, you should make all the effort or the efforts in the world to be understood by everybody. Now, from September, secondary school students in Northern Ireland will be offered the opportunity, dear listener, to study for a new qualification in climate change and environmental action. Students will be able to do GCSEs or AGCSE in climate change and environmental action. This is good because we all know that climate change is real, don't we, children? You're born and bred in Glasgow and you've noticed the weather changing. The rain seems to be getting heavier. Sometimes you get up in the morning and there's bucketing it down. Bucketing it down. A GCSE equivalent 
will be a, will be assessed by coursework rather than exams, right? A new natural GCSE history or a natural history GCSE has recently been introduced in England, which includes teaching pupils about climate change and how to protect the planet. There's something similar happening in Scotland, but in Northern Ireland, they're going the full hog. There will be a qualification, which will include modules on things like understanding the role of carbon in climate change, tackling single-use plastics, fast fashion and climate campaigning. The Environmental Education Manager at Keep Northern Ireland Beautiful, a woman called Charlene McKeown, has helped produce resources for schools offering the subject. And McKeown told the BBC... There's a definite need for our young people to become aware of the environmental crisis that they are essentially living in and about to face. At the moment, she said, there's a huge gap in our curriculum for environmental education, specifically focusing in on the climate crisis. We believe this essentially is a quick solution for our teachers to get stuck into it rather than waiting on curriculum change. This is indoctrination, of course. Just like the broadcast media... The Department of Education or Departments of Education have declared climate change to be settled. It isn't a theory. It isn't worthy of debate. It doesn't need debate. It's happening. It's deadly. It's going to kill us all. Now They're brainwashing children by offering them qualifications in it where children will basically get to regurgitate the nonsense that you would expect to hear from a Green Party politician or from a Extinction Rebellion lunatic glued to the road. Speaking of climate change, 50,000 people have been urged to evacuate their homes because of floods hitting Australia, hitting parts of Sydney for the third time this year, apparently. Parts of Sydney have received about eight months of rain in four days. Well, it's got to be climate change. Well, that is what they are saying. Roads have been cut off, houses are underwater, and thousands have been left without power. Not good, right? More than 100 evacuation orders have been issued across Greater Sydney for the current emergency. Climate change. But is it? Is it climate change? Or is this something we've seen before? Enter the Ginger Ninja, otherwise known as Kay Burley, stalwart Sky News. She interviewed a man this morning whose name is Charitha Patiarachi. Oh, I'm so proud I didn't butcher that. Charitha Patiarachi. He's an oceanographer at the University of Western Australia. And it didn't go the way the propagandists at Sky News wanted it to go. Burley and the University of Western Australia's oceanographer, listen. Charitha Patiarachi, Professor of uh, Coastal Oceanography at the University of Western Australia, is with us. What on earth is going on? Good morning, good afternoon, where you are. Uh, what on earth? It's basically global weather pattern called La Nina. La Nina. It's a global weather pattern, he said. Yeah. So La Nina basically brings in warmer water to all around Australia, not only to the east of Australia, but also to the northwest. And the warmer water provides uh, moisture uh, that actually ends up as rain. Uh, is there worse still to come? Um, I mean, they, uh, this particular event, uh, I think there's another couple of days of rainfall. The things with these, what they call um, cloud bands, is that you actually have, uh, they stay for a long time. Uh, so a lot of rain comes along because those systems uh, does not move. 
Is this the new normal? Um, I don't think it's the new normal. Um, um, it's um, we, we're going through uh, globally the the La Nina and El Nino events. You have uh, droughts and uh, wet periods. We are in a period where the Pacific specifically uh, seems to give us more La Nina events. Uh, they're thinking that the next um, summer in Australia would also come into a La Nina events. Uh, but 10 years ago, there was very much El Nino events. So this system basically seesaws back and forth into different climate stages. Lovely. It's cyclical. About 10 years ago, we had more La Nina events than El Nino events. It's just the way it happens. And when it happens, you get a lot of rain and moisture in the air. This isn't going well for Sky, by the way. Yes. Because Sky is leading the propaganda war when it comes to climate change. It's got its own daily climate show, wall-to-wall propaganda, where a Sky News person, they take it in turns, talks about the weather in terms of climate change. Oh, look, look, there's a glacier in Italy, or there's a bit of ice that's cascaded down a mountain. Let's go to our man in Italy. Let's go to Billy McGrath. How you doing, Billy? Yeah, there's a bit of ice came off the side of the mountain there now, and it's crashed down to the end of the mountain, and it's rolled over a hut. Climate change. That's what, it, it's genuinely like that. Climate change. The Daily Climate Change Show on Sky. Wall-to-wall propaganda. So the bloke just said, it's cyclical, really. It's a bit sad, but sure, this, this is what happens. What did Burley say? So is this like a cyclical event, or is there, is can we look at climate change for what's happening in Australia you at the moment? You daft ginger cloth-eared muppet. He just told you what it is. But he's a little bit under pressure, I suppose. And I, I imagine many academics are. And I suppose if you want to keep your job, you will, you know, drop a truth bomb or two like he just did. It's cyclical. We expect it. But then you've got to go along to get along. So he kind of says this. Um, It is part of what you could expect with climate change. We can't actually say exactly uh, that this is due to climate change because we don't know at the moment how climate change will influence this uh, cyclic weather patterns or quasi-cyclic weather patterns. Good man. Cyclic, cyclical he means. Uh, but it is uh, something that we could expect into the future. Lovely, but that's not good enough for Burley, you see. Yeah, but I mean, the level of flooding that we are seeing, you, you're saying that it is cyclical and it is, to all intents and purposes, normal. And the people of Australia, if they look back in, in their calendars, will see that they've seen this sort of weather uh, in the last few years. It is. I mean, the climate change is contributing, but it is not definitive. That's uh, all sort of uh, what we can say. These events, I mean, this is about the sixth or seventh, as they say, uh, once in a lifetime event. So these events appear to be um, recurring uh, with uh, unusual uh, periods. Regularity, I think, um, is is what you're suggesting there. Do you have way to help him out, Kay? Have um, any good news for the people in Windsor, New South Wales, and areas around there um, at the moment? Any good news? Well, we have to wait for uh, maybe another forty-eight hours before the water will actually decrease. It's going to stop raining, Kay. It's going to stop raining. It's what happens. Happens every few years. La Nina. El Nino, we're used to it. Maybe, you know, a real journalist would have 
try to delve into if these things are cyclical, why do they keep impacting on people in such a way? Why are precautionary measures not taken? Or, not precautionary measures, but mitigating measures. Why don't they say, Jesus, there's a good chance now we'll get one of these El Nino patterns where we'll get soaked into the skin and centimetres or inches of rain will fall. What can we do to make our houses a bit more resistant? But the interviewers never go there because it's climate change, you see. The idea is you can't do anything about it. Speaking of climate change, old Jug Ears himself, the Prince of Wales, was in Wales today. He was at BBC Cymru, Wales, their new headquarters at Cardiff Central Square. Did I butcher Cymru? Uh, that's BBC Wales, basically. They've got a, a new building at Cardiff Central Square. He went to have a tour of the broadcast centre with Camilla, his beautiful wife, said nobody ever. Um, he went to see the broadcast centre, including the new television studios. And while he was there, old jog ears told presenter Derek Brockway, weather presenter, that he's very frustrated. Not enough of the climate crisis was incorporated into the weather forecast. <laughs> this dipstick told the weather presenter that he's not happy that they're not talking about the climate crisis while they're doing the weather. I don't know how that would work, dear listener, do you? Well, in Swansea tomorrow, it's going to be a little bit drier than it is in Clanetley. And that's because of climate change. Is that what he means, basically? Is that what they should be doing? So it's going to be a bit windy over there in Abergavenny. But uh, further north of Cardiff, it's going to be dry and it's going to be humid. And that's because of climate change. I'm De Derek Brockway. I'll be back with your latest weather at six o'clock. What a load of bollocks. It's about time some mention was made of why it's so critical, said Charles. And Derek said to him, and these are quotes, by the way, we try and build it in. And Charles said, I'm always intrigued watching the local weather. What a gripping conversation that must have been to be privy to. It's 18 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. The Cabinet Office Minister Michael Ellis made me laugh today. Speaking in the House of Commons, an urgent question was asked by Deputy Leader Angela Rayner. We talked about her earlier on. Excuse me, the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party. She tabled an urgent question and the Speaker of the House said, no problem, you can have your urgent question, Angela. You look rather fetching today in a summery dress and a nice pair of sandals. Birkenstock, I think. Yes, you may ask your urgent question. Yeah. Bit of rough, Angela Rayner. So she wanted to ask an urgent question about when did the Prime Minister know? When did the Prime Minister know about the behaviour of the Deputy Chief Whip? When did he know? And when didn't he know? And why did he appoint this man to be Deputy Chief Whip if he knew that his behaviour was dodgy? And it's funny, so they rolled out Michael Ellis to answer the urgent question. And what he said was kind of funny. A little bit like Comical Ali saying that everything was fine in Baghdad and that Iraq was winning the day as American tanks rolled across the city centre. Have a listen to Michael Ellis defending the Prime Minister. Last week, when fresh allegations arose, the Prime Minister did not immediately recall the conversation in late 2019 about this incident. 
as soon as he was reminded, as soon as he was reminded, the number 10 press office uh, corrected their public lines. So the position is quite clear. Uh, further inquiries will be made, but the position is that the Prime Minister acted with probity at all times. Probity at all times. You see, what happened was he, he was told in 2019 that this guy, Chris Pincher, was a bit of a bollocks, really, and that he was quite handy. Not at putting up wallpaper now or, I don't know, tidying the kitchen. He was quite handy. He was, he was good at sticking his hands where they don't belong, on the genitalia of, you know, men and stuff. So he was told about this, but he later appointed him as Deputy Chief Whip. Johnson has lied pathologically about this. The thing that annoys me is why they're getting so enamoured with all of this. Why are they getting so, you know, angry about all this? There are so many things to hang Boris Johnson for, I don't mean literally, I mean metaphorically. Mike Graham Talk Radio with Isabel Oakshot, a writer for the Daily Mail sometimes, I think. Um, listen to this garbage today. I don't think I was being too flippant there at the start of the show, but I mean, I'm starting to get a bit fed up. It's a bit like when you have a friend, you know, who continually lets you down and sort of continually makes stories up about why they couldn't be somewhere to meet you, blah, whatever. You kind of, and After a while, you just kind of go, do you know what, let's not bother. Yeah, Mike, Mike Graham is pissed off that Boris Johnson has been caught out in a few fibs. But he's done a lot worse than that. Let's hear Isabel Oakshot. I don't think you were being too flippant at all. I just would question whether Boris Johnson is anyone's friend, even his own. Because <laughs> at the moment, he's acting like his own worst enemy. This is such a weird, unforced error. Yeah. I mean... You know, Chris Pincher, no one's heard of Chris Pincher out of Westminster. Unfortunately, his surname has made him, even if he hadn't done anything wrong, quite kind of memorable mm. within Westminster. And it is a name that's carried a bit of a bad reputation since I was there, which was a very long time ago in the lobby. But Boris Johnson didn't need to get himself into this mess. He could quite easily have said... Yes, I was aware of an issue way back whenever it was, 2018, when I was in the Foreign Office. And I looked into it and I knew it had been dealt with. And I took the view that, on balance, he was still a suitable person yeah. for the role that I appointed him to. But instead, the Prime Minister has done what the Prime Minister absolutely always does and dissembled. And that's a generous way of putting it. Other yeah, you could say he's a pathological liar. Well, you already did, didn't she, Isabel Oakshot there. Love that Michael Ellis clip. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Johnson didn't immediately recall hearing about a complaint in 2019, a complaint regarding Pincher. He didn't immediately recall that complaint when new complaints arose about him last week. But then when he was reminded of it by the number 10 press office, he remembered it. What a shower of shit they are, every one of them, of the 650, every single one of them. Right? Okay. What else have I got for you? Well, they're screaming for masks. You probably know this now, right? And across Europe, in European countries and whatnot, they're, you know, they're bringing, well, they're demanding that masks come back, that masks are worn on public transport and that masks are worn in hospitals and, and there's calls for it to come back here. But 
in this country, the calls are growing louder in this country for masks to come back, mandated masks. Anyway, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of East Anglia, David Livermore, he's very experienced, this guy, uh, began his career in 1980 researching microbiology at the London Hospital Medical College. The guy's got a CV that's fairly impressive, David Livermore. Speaking to Talk Radio today, David Livermore explained why he is not in favour, not at all in favour, of reintroducing masks. I would agree if it worked, but quite simply, it doesn't. Trials were done pre-COVID, mostly in the context of influenza. I think 15 trials showed no effect. Two trials in the context of COVID, um, Dan Mask being the classic of the two, no effect. Country after country facing rising tides of COVID infections introduced masks didn't work. Basically, these are inconveniencing people for no benefit whatsoever. The virus is endemic. Everything we have tried to do against it is essentially failed. We just have to accept as with the so-called Russian flu of the 1890s, which may well have been a coronavirus, it just has to bed in. We just has to bed in. It's endemic, just like the Russian flu of the 19th century. Masks don't do squat, diddly squat, shit, they do nothing. This is one of the most senior medical microbiologists in the country. And over on LBC Radio, don't worry, I'm not going to play a clip, you've got Lord Ho-Ho James O'Brien, one of the most despicable, disgusting, vile creatures ever to open a microphone, basically gagging for masks to be reintroduced in this country. And O'Brien and his production team are working day and night for people not to hear Professor David Livermore. It's not journalism, it's not broadcasting, it's not presenting, it's propaganda. Isn't it? Marvellous. You're with the BPG, Richie Allen, till 7 o'clock tonight. John Waters will be with me momentarily. We're all over the place here this week. I'm about to begin a, a, a very big studio rebuild, which I'm very excited about. Made possible by the support of you, the listener, to this programme, which is funded by you and you alone. And please continue to do that. But I'm very excited about it. I originally thought that the the show would be would be impacted by the rebuild this week. And then I said it wouldn't be, but it might be now. I'll tell you more on this later. Because I've got a carpenter arriving to the studio later on this evening and engineers coming tomorrow. It's a major operation, basically. It's not a small thing. It's going to take a few days. I'll let you know later. But I'm hugely excited about it because it opens up a few possibilities for the show in terms of me being able to do other things as well. And uh, like I said, I'll tell you more about that. And on. It is now time for a tune. That will buy me enough time to welcome John Waters back to the programme. This is your Richie Allen Show. It is July the 5th, 2022. And this is Gabrielle Silmi, I think. Yeah, Gabrielle Silmi and Sweet About Me on the Richie Allen Show. It's half five, by the way. Salford is muggy today. It's very muggy around Salford. Salford. Very muggy. It's awful, actually. Very humid. A bit of a heat wave coming. Our gardener. We have a gardener. You know you've moved up in the world. You know that you've moved up a station or two when you have a gardener. It's either that or you're a lazy old bollocks and you can't 
be back, you know, can't bother your backside to do it yourself. But there is a gar- local gardener, trims the hedges, and he said he's been warned by the Met Office about heat waves. Funny enough, a meteorologist we know predicted the last heat wave in the UK back in 2017 or 18, and he's saying the same thing, that later this month it's going to be Scorchio Tremendo. Uh, just before we welcome John back to the programme, let me remind you, uh, today's news. Not unexpected, but sad, I suppose, as well, uh, that the Supreme Court has upheld the decision by the Court of Appeal and the High Court to dismiss Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters' challenge to the constitutionality of laws introduced in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, not buttering anybody up, I said it before and I'll say it again, incredibly brave and very, you know, laborious thing to do, to take on the government, to take on the the system, the media. And I think it's an incredibly creditable thing, incredible credit goes to John Waters and Gemma O'Doherty for doing it and going through with it. And I said, and I meant earlier on, I think they have shamed the media in Ireland. They've shamed the political establishment. Let's welcome back the author, broadcaster, and um, I think all-round good guy, John Waters, to the programme. John, how are you? How are you feeling about it all? Hello, Richie. Um, I, I, I'm kind of... Um I have a complicated set of feelings. Uh, complex. I, I, I'm, I'm very tired, I guess. Uh, uh, but I'm not surprised in the first instance, in a certain sense, right? I mean, this, 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 there's a lot to say about this, but uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I have to step delicately here. But if you remember way back in the 80s, uh, a famous judgment by Lord Justice Denning, in which he talked in the Birmingham Six case. In which he was, you know, if you remember, the, the, those men had been wrong, it, as it turned out, and indeed as we knew at the time, had been wrongfully convicted of the, the Birmingham bombing. And uh, in an appeal, Denning dismissed the appeal. And when he, when he dismissed it, he made this very strange commentary, uh, which was he said that, that if uh, something like this, it's not exactly this, but it's something like this, that, you know, if this appeal was to be upheld, well, then that would mean, you know, that the police was uh, corrupt and the, the DPP were corrupt and, you know, the, the, the courts were corrupt and so on and so on and so on, right? And, and then he paused and said, and this is such an appalling vista that all right-thinking people must agree that this appeal should go no further. Now, that's a very interesting kind of construction because the first thing you think of is that, what he's saying is, well, actually, what he's saying is that, oh, you know, those people can't all be wrong. You know, they can't be all corrupt. Therefore, these guys must be guilty. But that's actually not what he was saying. No. What he was saying is that actually, if even if they are innocent, we cannot, in order just to free them in the name of justice, convict the entire British establishment of corruption. That would be unthinkable. Yeah. And, and and that's where we are here in this case, uh, Richie, because if John Waters and Jim O'Doherty were to, to get leave to appeal after two, two, the High Court and the Court of Appeal had shot them down, that would mean that there was a really serious danger of, of political collusion of the courts functioning as goalkeepers for the government to protect it from members of the public seeking to challenge to 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 prosecute their constitutional rights and to actually force a, a, um, a, a legal scrutiny of what actually happened in March and April of 2020 when the Constitution of Ireland was 
totally suspended in all to all intents and purposes. That's right. Because you know the the you know there's a lot of stuff in the constitution, but we're talking here about fundamental rights, which are really condensed into five articles, articles forty to forty four. And they are the most everything that the human person does to speak to each other, to, to walk down the street, to meet, to to you know to be in your home and private and be left alone, and so on and so on and so on. Go to mass, go to religious uh, 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 ceremony, uh, pray in public, all that. Everything was suspended, and was given to the government to do this. The government claimed this right to do this. It had no such right. I, I contended and I still contend. And yet, even this very week, Richie, in fact, very ominously on, on, on Monday, I heard that the government was now contemplating cranking it all up again. And that suggested to me, maybe I'm just being a little bit kind of, uh, what would we say, paranoid or something. But I kind of thought that sounds like they know how this case is going to go on Tuesday. I, I think you're probably right. And before we expand on that, the Birmingham Six case is a great is a great comparison, I think. And what you said there about the judge saying that the entire political class and the entire, you, you know, policing, uh, uh, say it from a framework in the country, couldn't be corrupt. But you were right to notice that what he was also saying, and I think they, they, they said it in your case, they're also saying that it's very important for the fabric of society, it's very important that people believe in the system and yes. believe that it works. That's that, that's it. That, that's what I took out yes. of that. Yes, yeah. exactly, Richie. But you know, you know, the, the 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 naive citizen might think that the next paragraph is going to say something that, and that, and because that is true, then we should ventilate yeah. fully all questions and queries the public may have concerning the actions of its government. And that's what but goes no, on. Said. What they're saying is we should put the lid back on it and say nothing. Yeah, that's right. That's the bit that's unsaid. That, yes. that, that next paragraph, that's unsaid. That's left hanging there. You're, you're absolutely yes. right, John. Um, there, there was a bit of media coverage about it today. Not, not an awful lot. Um, what, what, what have you, has, any, has anyone been in touch with you at all? It's very interesting, uh, Richie. One person has. And this person, I won't name the person, uh, not for any particular reason other than that I don't particularly want to. Uh, this is an editor of a so-called alternative platform who, um, throughout this whole thing, whose platform has completely either ignored the case or picked out little pieces that might look myself and Gemma, try to make myself and Gemma look bad. Just little angles like that. If there was any coverage at all, it was of that nature. I remember one time uh, early on, Gemma was asked about costs and she said, well, no, we're not worried about this. We don't intend to pay costs. And this became the headline. And there was no, but the point is in this particular site, and there was no coverage whatsoever of the content of our case at any time in any media whatsoever, Richie. This is very important to say. That's right. Like, like people are, journalists and newspapers are entitled to comment as much as they like, provided they tell people what actually happened, what the facts are. So people can say, okay, well, they say this, that, and the other, and that's their comment, that's their opinion. But actually, I saw that the case contained X, Y, and Z, right? They never did that. And this particular journalist left a message on my phone today. This guy, you know, has, has slagged me off innumerable times on Twitter and so on. And he wants me to talk to him today by five o'clock. And he's telling me, oh, he's got a scoop, Richie. 
uh, he's got a, a scooped uh, uh, this today in the judgment of one of the judge of one of the two judgments in the Supreme Court, which tells him something that we knew and and we shared with the world in November 2021 uh, uh, that uh, we had been offered pro bono legal representation by the Supreme Court and had turned it down. And he's high. He's really high on this idea. He's high on this idea. He thinks this is a scoop and he thinks that it really shows us up in really bad light. And subsequently, somebody sent me a tweet by this individual where he says that this whole case was about us seeking martyrdom. In other words, we wanted to impoverish ourselves, Richie. Right. We wanted to, to impoverish ourselves so that we would, you know, feel good. You know, that's what we wanted. Now, the thing is here, Richie, about the, on the question of the, the pro bono thing, the deal was not that, you know, we could go off and find our lawyers and the Supreme Court would pay for them. That was not what we were offered. We were offered that the Supreme Court would choose lawyers for us. Yeah, I remember. Entirely different matter. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're taking, if you're involved in a legal action, you want to know who your lawyers are. You want to have reasonably good relationships with them. You want to know that they're on the same kind of wavelength as you are, with, especially with regard to your case. How could we possibly go into the Supreme Court Accept any lawyers that were given to us, and then sit back and let these guys run the case. Make that we a, had started make a out of our own passion. Yeah, it's. I remember this. W- what has happened? Can you? I don't want to go off on a tangent because I want to stay with yeah, uh, yeah. your thoughts about the case. I remember watching Sean Annity and Bill O'Reilly twenty years ago, when when we first got Fox News, when it just started showing up on the Sky package, and I remember thinking I, I was working in Waterford at the time. I thought, we'll never see that. We'll never see that here. But not only have we seen it, not only are we seeing it here, not just in broadcast media, but in print media, we're also seeing it in the so-called alternative media, where people who call themselves journalists have a position, make that position known loud and clear, fair enough, but they um, dismiss, not, not just dismiss, that's bad enough, but they, they go as far as to hide and try to bury facts or information which would challenge their position, the one that they're screaming right. loudly on air. I mean, how has that happened? Well, to put it in a succinct way, that's they, 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 they are waging information war. They're not reporting what is true. Yeah. They're selecting facts in order to assassinate the characters of people they disagree with for whatever reason. And omitting everything uh, else. And uh, that is, yeah, that, it's a function of, of lots of things. But Twitter, I think, has been an extraordinarily toxic uh, contribution to global media in the sense that because it is so powerful and its, its volume is so intense and uh, the, the, the brevity of the commentaries is such that it has reduced everything down to slogans and catchphrases, yeah. which then can be bandied about and, and can be attached to somebody. You know, like, you see, if, if you're going to call somebody a name, say you want to, somebody's calling, you know, somebody a racist, it's very easy to do it on Twitter. And then that's multiplied so that, you know, 10,000 people say that this person is a racist. It's very hard to, to get your response into that, right? Now, in the old days, if you wanted to call somebody a racist, you had to write a fairly long article explaining what you meant by word racist, where the evidence was for this person being a racist and what they had said or did, you know, and so on and so on, and examine all their records. Absolutely. You know, but you don't have to do that anymore. You just put out the, the lie. 
And you had to run it by you had to run it by the lawyers. Jesus, I remember producing talk radio, running everything by the station solicitor, uh, Paul Foskin, as it was in Waterford at the time. A really love a lovely bloke. You're right, John. You had to substantiate your claim. You had to pack it up. You had to unpack everything. You had to clearly demonstrate that what you were saying was true. That the argument was legitimate. Now that's right. You've nailed right. it. You've and, nailed and it. And the other thing, Richie, just on yeah. that is that if somebody you know like uh, if you're accusing somebody of something well you have to then give the viewers or the readers or whatever it is a fairly clear account of this person's general position on any related issue yes in, just in case there might be some ameliorating or mitigating factor which you're not actually allowing for in your accusation so therefore you have to say well okay he he, he he's a racist but you know he's married to a black woman Right, yes. You see, or to take, that's to take a very crude example. No, I know what you mean, right? yeah, yeah. You know, so, but you can't just say it and, and leave out that fact because you're going to be screwed if you do. But you can't, it seems. You see, the, the, one of the things about this is that the whole kind of Wild West dimension of the internet, which we're only now beginning to catch up on and not in a good way, actually, funnily enough. It's not, the regulation is not going to come in a way that might actually put a rain on all the toxic voices. It's actually going to give further rain to all these toxic voices and constrain anybody really who wants to respond, pretty much. That's the way I see it all going. Uh, you know, that it, it's it, where this Wild West kind of syndrome where you could basically say anything. And if you went to a lawyer, if somebody went to a lawyer, they said, well, it's, that's the internet, you can't do anything about it. That's Twitter, you know, that's just Twitter. And people would say that. I found that actually very disingenuously among certain people, you know, if something terrible was said about somebody on Twitter and you said to a person who agreed with it and, 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 and with what was said, but more or less, uh, even though they knew it was toxic and so on, uh, they would say, well, that's just Twitter. Whereas if it was somebody that they were seeking to defend, they would be horrified. They would be absolutely outraged. They would. Let they me know. ask you an important question on that now. As a, a man whose byline appeared in um, great newspapers when they were great. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this: Should Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram be bound by the same laws or rules or um, standards as as newspapers? Um, the obvious question I'm asking is: Should they be considered as publishers? You're the right man to ask because yeah. you've been defamed no, no. Yeah. on Twitter so I, many times. Lies oh, I, have been told. Yeah, I think it's absolutely the case that they should be. Uh, you know, there's, there's a big argument in relation to different things. I mean, there's actually a stronger argument to the contrary in the in the relation to to live radio, for example, which is what you do. That you know, if I if I start blurting out somebody uh, an accusation against somebody into you now, I don't know what mechanism you have for delays or if any. But no. if you don't, then you're in the soup as well as I am. If I say something that's uh, right. over the line, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's unfair to you in my opinion. And and that's an unfair aspect of the live radio dimension. But I don't think the same can be said of Twitter because they're able to censor everybody that they don't agree with. Very quickly. And very quickly, right? But it seems, oh, well, we can't really, uh, you know, moderate all these uh, comments, you know, it's it's far beyond our scope, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, oh yeah, but you have algorithms that if, I, if somebody mentions uh, 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 the word vaccine, they can have their, their, their video taken down within seconds. Yeah, and they might end up losing their job if they 
dare to say something like um, only um, men have penises and, and women yeah. don't have there's, penises. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting aspect of this, Richie, which I would refer to. And, and, and just to say this, like that, I think that, you know, the, the kind of hands off approach that has uh, a, a, been taken with the Internet for the last say, 20 years. Um, it's interesting that that was in the, a period in which a lot of this woke stuff was getting in, in its boots on, you know, and and uh, that kind of suited the corporate world and big tech and all that. And it also sort of suited the agendas of some certain polit- politicians and political parties. So I think there was a certain element of turning a blind eye to all of that excess for all those years because they approved of the agendas that were being promoted and which were, you know, toxic, being, 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 being prosecuted using toxic technologies and, and so on. Whereas now they more or less achieved what they wanted and now they're beginning to tighten the screws on anybody who might actually be able to respond. And it's very interesting, you know, that there are certain technologies which go with what, you, what are loosely called right and left. I don't necessarily think those are great, usefully useful categories anymore. But, you know, uh, for example, you say, well, Twitter is very definitely a, a, a left wing kind of leaning uh, mechanism. It suits that kind of ideological kind of messaging. Whereas YouTube is much better on the other side because it's long form and it's discursive and so on. It's like your show or something, like, you know, that. So, so that YouTube has been really, really, uh, you know, uh, vehement, vigorous in, in shutting down voices that it didn't agree with. Whereas Twitter, you know, you can get away with all kinds of stuff if you have the right mentality, right attitude, you know. Uh, so uh, I, I, these things are big questions. But ultimately, I'm not a huge fan of government regulation as such. But in this area, you have to have at least fairness and balance if you're going to have censorship being imposed by people who claim they're not publishers. I agree with and, you. This is the thing. If Twitter wasn't so censorious, I'm, I might have... No, no, sorry, I shouldn't say I agree with you. My position is a little bit more complicated, but I can sum it up in 15 seconds. Um, if Twitter was, wasn't was so censorious, I'd be... Uh, I don't know. I'd be inclined to say, well, look, we'll destroy free speech if we force them to become publishers because nothing will stay up because they'll become so paranoid. Uh, and so, so I could look at it f- from that point of view. But um, there's an example. A, a Premier League footballer has been arrested on suspicion of rape. And yesterday, Twitter was full of posts from people alleging it was an Arsenal player who, it turns out, is not the guy who has been arrested. I mean, that's dangerous stuff, that. Very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. And, and, and they should not be. I mean, look... If 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 we if I was a ma- an editor of a magazine and was away on my holidays and somebody put that in the magazine and I came back, I'd be apoplectic. Well, they'd be I gone. mean, you know, like it, you can't do things like that. You, like it's just absolutely reckless. But Twitter do it all the time because there's no rec- there's no possible there's no check on them whatsoever. Uh, you know, so. I think that that you know all this stuff is the problem is you know that that uh, politics 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 has become so toxic now that you know given that they would be the ones instigating the regulation one would have to be immediately suspicious of their agendas. Well, they've said you it know? here. Can I ask? Can we stay on that theme just before I, I I move it to there because this is really interesting. You're listening to John Waters, who's a, an Irish writer. Uh, author and, and broadcaster whom um, we're very fond of, those of us that are, you know, of a certain age, over 40, that know 
what it was like to read good columns in the broadsheet newspapers back in the day. John and Gemma O'Doherty were, were, were denied the right to challenge the constitutionality of lockdowns. They were denied by the High Court and then by the Court of Appeal. They took it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has dismissed them uh, six to one. We might come back to the one, Georgie, was oh, kind yeah, of in your favour. We've got to come back to, to that one. in a few I minutes. that's very, very important, Richard. No, yeah. no, no doubt about that. Um, but um, I, I'm lost now for a minute. Where was I going? To, where were we going to go? You, you were, we're going to go on the, the regulation and all that. Well done. Stuff, Thank but... you very much. Right, so we have the online harms bill that's coming in here which proposes <laughs> Ultimately, the, the worst sanctions in it might see somebody jailed for criticising vaccines if they, if they didn't shut up and, and, and not interfere with people going to, to, to roll their sleeves up for a vaccine. So the online yes. harms bill. Am I to understand that the, the government in Ireland is involved in something similar or, or is putting together something similar, a bill? Yes, it is, for certain. There's what is called hate speech. Hate speech. Uh, legislation and disinformation legislation, I gather, uh, which means exactly that. And when you actually rinse that all down, what you're actually talking about is pure fascism. And I mean that literally. I'm not using that rhetorically. Yeah. It's pure fascism in the context that it is being done at the behest of corporations who do not want their, their businesses subject to scrutiny. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Here they're yeah. saying that, I, I've written several pieces for it. I wouldn't dream of saying articles in your presence, but I've written a couple of bits and bobs for my own website. Yeah, they 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 want to they they, they want to be able to take down at the speed of light, not just the posts, but basically take people offline permanently if they are posting things that are deemed to be harmful. And, and there's this thing that they don't want to talk about. Um, legal but harmful. Now this is the yeah. thing. It's legal but it's harmful. But hang on, but if it's legal, well, then you don't have any right to censor the person. But no, but it's it's harmful. And and, and this is the this this is where I don't believe, and this, this is not about me now. But but because I'm talking yes. to you, I don't believe that by the end of next year I'll be on air. I'm sure I won't be. I'm, I'm well, convinced uh, of it. Yes, you see, you see again, Richie. This, in my opinion, this this is comes down to the, to social media and and the influence it's had on the reductionism of social media, and. The, the way that it kind of manages to uh, rinse, it, 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 it really, it, it attacks people's, you see, the whole, the whole thing about social media is there's a massive amplifier on certain ideas and preferably simple ideas, simplistic ideas. So the volume is what people are afraid of and people are afraid of being attacked on social media. So what you're actually getting here now is a situation whereby all reason is rinsed out of public debate and it's all a full frontal blast of 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 personal venom and, and, and attack and so on. And so you get kind of ideas being peddled and pushed and 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 succeeding in actually gaining traction and beyond beyond question, which are objectively not sustainable or dubious or at least arguable. Now, for example, like, you know, the, the the term disinformation has crept in now to public uh, conversation in recent times. And you see, OK, in, in the past, I might have said in a debate with you, well, no, no, that's disinformation, Richie. Sorry, you know, you can't say that. Or, you know, that's disinformation. You've said it, but it's different. Yeah. That's fine. Or you say what I just said. No, that's disinformation, John. Come on. Uh, and I said, fine, OK, well, or not, whatever. But 
you see, now we're in a situation where somebody says, somebody, a particular kind of person says that something is informa- disinformation and this becomes a hard statement of yes, fact. fact. Yeah, yeah. You see, whether they're an authority figure, a politician, you know, a, a victim. Remember the omnipotent victim, Richie? You know, yes. that we live in the age of the omnipotent victim. So, you know, in a certain sense, the, the more, you know, the more victim points you have, the, the harder your facts are when you state them, no matter how loose the language. So, you know, like if you actually think about it, Richie, think about the, ter- the, the, the concept that we've seen in the last couple of years where, the, you know, anybody who doesn't have a mainstream opinion now is described as far right. That's right. Fringe right, oh, far right. That's far right. right. Now, you yeah. think about it is, Richie, just, just put this to your test from your own your young days and you know, down the southeast of Ireland and going around and talking to people in pubs and all the rest of it. Like, like nowadays now, if you if somebody could say, like, anybody can be called far right for anything, like, you know. Uh, now, if that was tried 30 years ago, you'd be just laughed at. Laughed out of town, yeah. Just yeah, they just say, "I will you get up the yard." Yeah. You know, uh, you know, don't be annoying me head with that nonsense. You know, but now people say, "Oh," and people believe it for some reason. Like people say, "Oh, well, I think he's a bit far right now." Well, where'd you hear that? Oh, I heard it on the television. Really, God, and, and who was saying it? I don't remember now, but I, 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 I'm inclined to think he is. And you, you think I mean? you think that label is stuck to you and to Gemma, even though from what yeah. I understood, I interviewed Gemma many times. I've read Gemma over the years in the newspapers. I've read you. I've interviewed you quite a few times as well. I'm I've the last thing I could ever be accused of is, is a lick arse. I love an argument. I I'd love to be yeah. arguing with you, but I yeah. can't find anything to argue with you about. Maybe we'll find something soon. We can have a well, good we argument. Might, but we but, but I cannot see how you could be. No, no. But I cannot see how you could be labelled as far right. You ah, couldn't be. Ah, but this is the very interesting thing, Richie. I have a platform now, uh, uh, John Waters Unchained on, on Substack. Substack, yeah. And, and, you know, there's like hundreds of articles on there at this stage. And some of them are very long articles. Like, they're long essays. Uh, so they go into all kinds of details about all kinds of stuff like mass migration maybe or you know mass hypnosis or mass formation or, you know, uh, post-humanism, right? Yes. Now, so if somebody wants to say that I'm far right, there's kind of, going back to what we we're saying at the beginning of the program about you know the, the 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 being able to back up your accusations. In the old days, there would be an expectation. Well, like uh, where are you where are you seeing that from? Oh, well, he wrote an article on Substack where he said something terrible about black people. Oh my God, is he? Well, show me that. Right, okay, okay. God, that's shocking. That's shocking. Oh my God, he shouldn't have said that. Oh, that's terrible. Oh my God, you might be right now. Now that okay, but what that you see, they don't do that now, Richie. They just don't mention that you have any voice at all. No. Nobody, nobody <laughs> mentions my subject platform no. at all. No. They just put out the smear and everybody else amplifies it. That's how it works. And I've observed, I've been observing this since before the the scam. I'm it's the only little bit of advantage I have over you, if I have any at all, is I've been observing this for years, ever since I took this show, since I began doing this show in 2014 and started taking stick for doing it because I was speaking to so many different people with different opinions, you know, the so-called far right and all of that. And, 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 and I've seen this develop and I've seen it, you know, become an expedited agenda, getting quicker and quicker and quicker. The demonisation of somebody without ever shining a spotlight on their work without offering any proof, without showing any example whatsoever. And of course, more importantly, without ever extending them the courtesy of an open debate. 
That's right. But but it's, it's very important, Richie, to see these things in their proper context. Yeah. You know, because it's the proper context that we are in now, and this might seem a little bit extreme, but it's, I, I could back it up. We're essentially in a totalitarian context no, now in the we Western are. world. In the Western world, and these are leverage levers of totalitarianism uh, control, because. You see, the whole idea of the the, the, the far right thing is not just a, a kind of a slag or a, a rhetorical jibe or whatever it is, it, uh, or even a, even just a label. It's actually what Roger Scruton, the late philosopher, the English philosopher, said, called a spell word. Uh, it's a spell term, and that means the way I kind of explain that it's like a, a cattle prod, a live cattle prod. And as soon as you open your mouth to say something that is un, un, unapproved, uh, you know, unorthodox. You get the blast, yes. you know, and you, that's your punishment. But it's also a lesson to anybody watching. Don't go there. Don't don't be him. Be, don't be the next one. You know, and what happens is then, like figuratively speaking, that a space opens up all around you. You know, people don't want to go near you. You become unclean. People don't want to talk to you because it's not like people remember you. Maybe, you know, they say, well, Jay, you used to be a nice enough fellow now. And I, I, I don't think he's that like, uh, but they won't go near you all the same. Just no, in case. No, we saw some extraordinary things happen in the last few years. I think we've spoken enough for you to know now that I, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who makes it about me, but these are things that must be said in the context of the conversation. Yeah. I remember not long after lockdown, I rang up an old pal of mine, Anne Whittacombe. Now, I don't have anything in common with Anne Whittacombe in terms of my, my geopolitical positions, because I'm an old socialist. But I've always enjoyed her company. I used to interview her quite a bit on the radio in Spain. So on came Anne anyway. Within hours, um, this terrible organisation called Hope Not Hate, which is nothing but a censorious um, attack organisation which goes after a, people. A hate-filled organisation. Absolutely. I, I think it's yeah. it's funded by one of these creeps like Soros, maybe not him, but hmm. but somebody. So they, they got in touch with Han and said, oh, um, he's had anti-Semites on before. And so dangerous is this for people that yeah. it was almost biblical what happened next. Anne denied knowing me at all and said she'd never heard of me until I picked up the phone to call her that very day and knew nothing about me. So scared was she that she'd be tainted by these allegations that she was on a programme that previously hosted anti-Semites, which it has. I've yeah. had three or four um, people on over the years, semi-decent people, but with ideas that I would find silly and I've had them on, um, yeah. that she denied me. We've been speaking yeah. for years. Desmond Swain, Conservative Party, was told by the party they'd kick him out if he came back on. Desmond said, why? He sounded all right to me, this Irish guy, you yeah. know. And they said, oh, because um, it's a haven for anti-Semites, which of course it isn't. Um, and he said to me, I'm sorry, Richard, I can't come back on again. So the reason I'm mentioning those instances, not to be narcissistic, not to make it about me, but that's what it does to people, you see. And, and forget anti-Semitism. It's now going to be about COVID deniers and, and anti-vaxxers. You can't be seen to be speaking well, to these people. Yes, it, but you see, just think about that, Richie. Like, you know, and take a turn, the idea of, you know, a COVID denier. It's terrible. Like, you might think, Richie, at this moment, as I might think, talking among ourselves as if we were two Irish guys, you know, talking back in the 90s or the 80s. Ah, uh, God, that'll never, that'll never happen. Like, you know, the, the idea, sure, that's laughable, right? That, yeah. that people could be, could be criminalized for calling, for being a COVID denier. Don't rule it out. No. Because the culture that this is a totalitarian thing, you see, that it's a mass 
a formation which creates all kinds of undertoes of sentiment, rage and, you know, emotion and so on. And basically it turns elements of the mob upon others within the mob or around the mob. And this is what's going on now all over the place. We saw it last year in particular in relation to the vaccines, you know, where, you know, people who had were not vaxxed were being demonized by politicians, lying, lying, lying on television and radio saying that the unvaccinated were spreading COVID and so on. When in fact, it as it, turn, as it turns out now, the vast majority of people who've had COVID or have COVID are, are vaccinated in one way or another. That's right. But they don't tell you that. And so... But so so therefore, you you know, to be a COVID denier is to risk lives. You know, you're you're a quasi murderer. Like, you know, this is the logic, if it is, if it can be called logic. And this is in the climate that we're heading into. In fact, we're well into it now. It's a terrifying place. And I've been talking. There's a brilliant uh, uh, Belgian psychologist called uh, Matthias Desmet, uh, uh, who is a young guy who, who's been talking about this for the last year or so. And it's what he's saying, if you listen to him carefully, is that we could be on the verge of creating a Bolshevik kind of situation in our countries. Where you could end up with somebody like Joe Stalin. That's and, where we're going, unless oh. we're very careful with all this stuff, because you can see that the, 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 the elements of it, the rages, the, the hatred, people who, have you ever noticed that people who call other people, you know, say that they're hate, they hate criminals and so on, they're full of hate themselves. Look at them, look, they, look at the, look at the pro-trans supporters yeah. who t attack women in city centres who, there was an incident in Manchester, not, not, not a mile from where I am now where the, the Pankhurst statue, you had women standing there saying, listen, spaces for women, women, like real women, women that don't have a penis and a five o'clock shadow, please. And they were attacked by these lunatics who were accusing them of hate speech. The lunatics yes. were screaming. And, and that's a great point you just made. The faces, the eyes are full of venom, spitting venom, screaming at people. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and what actually happens in our societies now, for all kinds of complex reasons, we don't really have the time to go into this, how this works, the mechanics of it. But what you find increasingly, Richie, is that authorities, whether it's political, policing, judicial, whatever it may be, tend to side with these hate mongers against anybody who is touched by the cattle prod. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think that it's possible that you could end up with a judge and, and that, you know, some some guard or a police officer might say, well, this man is far right. And that the judge would gasp and say, what? Far right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Six years. That's, That's news not speak. impossible. That's that, not impossible. No, it's not. Is that is that an example, do you think, of what Orwell was trying to say when he wrote about newspeak? Like terms like hate speech. That's yeah. newspeak, isn't it? It's, yes, it is. Yes, yeah, the is. definition of it. Yeah, it, it is. It's 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 a magical use of language, and I use the word magical in a kind of a neutral way because magical is magic is generally thought of as a positive thing. You know, so you know, for kids and that magic shows and all that. But in this context, it's there's a dark side to it, and you know, language is intrinsically magical, and you can change the world with language and, and speech and oratory and so on. Uh, but this is an example of it being used, as I say, as a weapon, as an instrument, really. I mean, it's not true, 
uh, you know, sticks and stones and, and all that may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That actually ain't true anymore. With the spell word, it's not true. The spell word can destroy your life, can put you in jail, can actually, you know, be unanswerable in, in the procedures that are being set in place now where people can be accused on the basis of somebody's subjective opinion of offence. That's right. The taking offence. I mean, we've, we've heard a million times in our lives, offence is given, not taken. Well, that ain't true anymore either. You know, if, if the laws in Ireland that they've been trying to bring in in Ireland, that the, the one I know, because I've written about it, and I'm not sure exactly how this stands, uh, but the, what they were actually trying to bring in was, I haven't looked at it recently, but the last time I checked, about a year ago, looking into this in detail, Essentially, what they were setting up was a law whereby uh, anybody could accuse you on the basis of, some, of hearing you say something which offended them or which they observed to have offended another person. And that that would become a, a hate crime. And it wouldn't actually matter whether or not the person who was allegedly offended had any opinion on the matter whatsoever. If the observer, the witness, thought that you had offended them or, or what you said was offensive to them, that would be sufficient evidence for the court. Where are the legal scholars gone? Are there any left? I mean, we used to have learned law people, you know, senior people who'd been around. You passed the bar 45 years ago. Where's the outrage? Okay. Very interesting question, Richie, and, and I kind of have a kind of a broad, very broad stroke answer to it. And it, it, it's not just about lawyers. It's about all of those kind of what you might call what are increasingly now uh, uh, liberal professions, shall we say, that lawyers, generally speaking, are liberals, lefty liberals, generally, uh, as are, you know, celebrities of various kinds, actors and, and artists and poets and all the rest of it. They're nearly all of the same views. Right? And. I was. I wrote a, 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 an article there during the week uh, about this, because liberalism we think of it as freedom. Liberalism is to do with liberty, which is to do with freedom, hasn't it? But actually, what we found in our time was that liberals are much more interested in changing humanity than they are of rendering it free. In fact, they don't really like freedom at all. And in fact, if you see, we've seen in the COVID thing that liberals are the most fascistic in their approach to the measures and so on. They're the ones who demand more and more lockdowns and restrictions and so on. And that's because intrinsic to the whole liberal, the modern liberalism, not the classical kind, which is a different animal, which is let live and let live and let people be and, and you know. But this is now highly directive, highly intrusive, highly sanctimonious, highly moralistic. And it wants you to act, it wants to change your mind about certain things. And if you, you refuse to change your mind, then you're in big trouble with these people. And they have a hell of a lot of power. Do you know how I've observed this? I don't have the, the, your beautiful ability to speak. Do you know how I've observed this? I said this on a show once, and it's about the only time I had an avalanche of, of um, emails afterwards saying, Richie, you might have actually hit, hit on something for once um, in, in your life. I, I talked about I don't like to bash younger. I'm 47 now. I don't like to bash younger people. When I was in my 20s, I, I certainly wasn't sensitive, but I would have been annoyed at, um, you know, the cultural things I was interested in, the music, being bashed by people, I suppose, over 40 or over 50. I would have said, like, this is, this is the way it's always been. Your father hated your music, and now you hate my music, and you hate my dress sense and all of that nonsense. Yeah. I'm, I'm observing 20-somethings now, and I think 
Social media has been kind of a part of this. Education, definitely. They are convincing legions of younger people that it is their entitlement to go through life without ever hearing or seeing anything which offends them or which, yeah. which, which, which hurts their feelings. Now, they're selling that to them as liberation. That, that's being sold as liberation. Like this is a, if you, When I'm finished in a second, feel free to shoot this down. But I think they're saying to, to kids, you have, a, you, you have a human right not to be hurt, to hear, to see something which you find to be wrong. Therefore, you should be protected from it. And they're selling that as, as, as liberty, when in fact, it, it isn't. It's anything but. And they don't seem to understand that. They don't seem to understand that they're constrained themselves then. So, so on the one hand, you have a right to go through it, to navigate life without ever being impacted by anybody else's thoughts or feelings or ideas. That's our gift to you. That's liberty. But they don't seem to understand that that's a cage for them because th- the person themselves then is basically prohibited from ever saying or thinking or doing anything well, that might offend I, somebody else. I do agree with that, Richie, and I, I go further with it and say there's a further danger, which is that this kind of sensibility uh, or sensitivity, uh, sensibility, is is um, is infecting society at a gra- at a bigger level, at a broader level. So it has become almost like the norm now, the cultural kind of normative cultural trope to actually tone down your speech and tone down your, your yeah. opinions and so on. And, and if you think about that, Richie, if you actually use an analogy of, say, the gym, you know, when you're going for a workout, you actually, you, you abuse your muscles. I don't do it anymore. I used to do it. About that. Uh, you abuse your muscles in order to make yourself stronger. Yeah. yeah. So, do you know what I mean? Like, Very good, uh, yeah. And, and the analogy is the same. Like, if you have a, cre- if you have a culture which is robust and, you know, Irish culture used to be like that very much. Like, there's always slagging. Like, slagging from the cradle, virtually, kids used to slag each other, like, and call each other names and, 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 and you know. And that's robust kind of interaction, banter. And, and, and then you go into the political thing where if you have opinions or whatever, even in the pub, well, you have a good row, you know. And the shouting and roaring and kicking the stools and all the rest of it, uh, but that's all now being treated with with suspicion. And the result of that is going to be the same in 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 sort of democratic terms as the guy who never went to the gym or doesn't do yes, any manual that's work. A fantastic he's, he's a weakling. Yeah. He's a weakling. We are going to create a weakling society intellectually and culturally, which means that it is going to be easy prey for any other society that wants, or other, any group that wants to take it over. I remember speaking to um, a black police officer about two years ago on the show, and he came on, and I, I think he had suffered, I, I don't know if I should use the word suffered, but he was definitely exposed to some pretty nasty behaviour by his colleagues. It was unacceptable, and he was um, received an apology eventually, guys were disciplined and all of that, and he was a nice guy, but he came on, and the point he wanted to make was, was that society is fundamentally racist, and I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Yes. And um, we, got, we got into, um, you know, uh, talking about that and one thing and another. So we argued about it, and, and he was okay, but where we fell out, and he sent me a couple of nasty text messages at the end, was when I said that, you know, ultimately you and um, I suppose ethnic minorities in general, I said, you need to understand that there are, you're, you're bound to meet people who distrust you because of the colour of your skin or because where your ancestry might, you know, might, might go back to. And 
nothing should be done about those people. We have to learn to live with with people like that, and th- they don't do you any bloody harm. They haven't um, been any barrier to your success in your career. So you just have to live with people who might have ideas that you find ugly. And he really got pissed off about that. And I'll tell you who else got pissed off about that was the last time I interviewed Peter Tatchell, the LGBT guy. He got yeah. pri- he, he he said he he said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said that it's it's unacceptable that people think there's something wrong with homosexuality. In fact, he said the same thing on Sky News the other day. He said it's great now to be gay and living in the world, but there's still more to do. There are still people out there with unacceptable ideas. And when I had Tatchell on, I said, whether I agree with you or, or not, and whether I think gays need to be protected or not, is irrelevant. I said, what you're saying is, is, is totalitarian. You're saying that pe- people don't have a right to think what they want to think. Well, that's right, Richie. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, well, I mean, with Peter Tatchell, it's that's his meal ticket, you know. I mean, he needs, you know, to find homophobes out there to pursue and all the rest of it, you know. But where we're going with all that stuff is a very dark place, like, you yeah. know, the, there's going to be uh, uh, no, uh, uh, no, there's no end to it. And there's no end to the hysteria that can be generated about whatever, because you have that tendency. You know, this is actually a syndrome of societies which are, in a certain sense, have been reaching kind of almost peak liberalism. And what they do then is they go into this kind of micro phase where they started pursuing every last remaining trace of any toxic element. And that is where we're in now. And that can be far worse than the general kind of general tendency to or the general attempt to push them to make things more congenial for different, say, minorities or groups, which I have no objection to whatsoever. But it's when they start to kind of go in then to and pursue every little, you know, fiddle fart of an objectionable rhetoric or thought even. I mean, we are now in the situation where it is pure totalitarianism, where there's a, there's a, there's a tick which was identifiable out of nothing. I forget who said it was. It might have been Hannah Arendt, actually, who was talking about the, the way that in a totalitarian society you can, that people, when they're conversing, they're all the time looking over their shoulders to see who might be listening. And of course, in a totalitarian society at a later stage, you can't, that isn't even enough of a protection because your own children might chop you. The, the mass formation reaches such a pitch. Your phone will chop you. Your, your device will chop you. Can, can I ask you this? Do you think something else that I discussed with a guest recently, John, which is relevant, apologies for just briefly talking over you there, but I think this is important right, no, to stay yeah. with. And that is the idea, once upon a time, it was more. It was quite rightly acceptable. Damn right, it was acceptable not to have an opinion. It was acceptable. Where I might say to you some years ago, John, what do you think of um, you know gay pride or forget gay pride? John, what do you think of um, you know Tremor in Waterford is taking in uh, quite a few asylum seekers from Western Africa? Now, it was absolutely damn right acceptable that you had the right to go. Ah, I'd rather not say or. Uh, Richie, I don't uh, get into politics and stuff like that. I keep that sort of stuff to myself. That is being removed, that right to keep your thoughts to yourself. And and I believe in the future. I don't mean physical passports, but records will be kept on people. So there might be a a computer database somewhere and John Waters is there and you got John with his lovely long hair and his beard. So John is there and underneath it, um, is is a is a little file about you, a little a little report. Climate change, believer. COVID, believer. Um, trans women are women, and there might be a question mark. Well, Richie, yeah. I mean, but consider the fact that, as I understand it, Scotland now already has a law whereby you can be prosecuted for something that a, a third party 
report to us having said in your own home. That's right. Now, you just stop there, right? First of all, I say 20 years ago, that was inconceivable, right? We agree on that, right? Yep. Inconceivable. Okay. At the moment, you would say it's inconceivable that in the future, the following might happen. At the moment, Richie, if you have an iPhone, as I understand it, I'm not technical in this sense, but I gather there's something like five microphones in your average iPhone, right? Yeah. Who's listening at the end of that, if they're listening, or what's happening to that material? We do not know. But we have to allow for the possibility that at some point in the future, it will be recovered in some place, which may not have our best interest at heart, and that whatever we say in our own home will then be transcribed and may be used in a process to uh, uh, incriminate us in some way. Now, if you think that's unlikely now, you say, well, no, the law doesn't support it now. Well, yeah, well, the law doesn't support a lot of things. It didn't support a lot of things a few years ago. It didn't support the idea that you might be stopped walking down the street and told to go home by a police officer because, you know, there was some kind of a bug going around the place. Uh, for example, uh, we have a popular thing coming in, the, in, the, in Ireland in the very near future where they're going to have a referendum to, as they put it, delimit private property which means that they will have the right, if they win the referendum, which of course they will because they'll fix it, uh, uh, the, that they have the right to basically take your property. So the idea that oh, that'll never happen, it's time we got rid of that, that one, you know? Can I just because jump in there? Do you know that delimiting property? Do you know what that's really about that? In my opinion, I should say. Yes. It's about climate change. They, they want to say that homes are irredeemable. Is, is there such a word, irredeemable? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're going to say that this home is irredeemable. You, you can't do anything with it. You can't. It's, it's, it's too energy thirsty, this particular home. I know okay. what's going to happen here. So, we're, we're, so, yeah, so go we, ahead. We, we, we take it from you. We sell it for a song to, a, to, a, to an oligarch. He uh, togs it out with the highest quality of, of uh, uh, you know, whatever, insulation. Yeah. Uh, and then it's rented back to you because, you know, You'll own nothing, but you'll be but happy. But you'll be happy, yeah. That's right. I, I, we bought a house in Salford some uh, three years or, or so ago. It's a 120-year-old house, and I've been told by people in the know, people I trust, that in a few years, Richie, it's, it's, houses like yours are going to come for. They're going to say the housing stock is too old. It's just not modern enough. And yeah. uh, they're going to say it's got to be demolished. Tough shit, Paddy, is what they're going to say. It's got to be demolished. That's right. No, you see, like, I, that's, we're in complete free fall now yeah. in terms of, of, of uh, possibility, politically speaking. And, you know, ethics are gone out the window. Morality has gone out the window. You know, the rule of law has pretty much gone out the window, which is what we're, we're discovering, what we discovered again today. But, uh, you know, that's where we are, Richie. And, and, you know, the other thing about all this kind of eavesdropping and stuff, you know, and, 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 and you know, the, the thought crime business, which, again, all well predicted, is that they'll be able to read. They, they reckon it's, they may already be able to do this, basically to read your mind and monitor your dreams. So if your dreams have problematic elements in them, you may be called to answer for that as well. Who knows? Who knows where we're going? Johnwaters.substack.com. Johnwaters.substack.com. You're listening to one of the last great uh, broadsheet writers, John Waters, and authors. Check out his books. Um, please, folks, do support uh, the independent media. Six um, out of seven Supreme Court judges this morning upheld the Court of Appeal and the High Court because the Court of Appeal and the High Court said to John and Gemma, you don't have the right to challenge the constitutionality of lockdowns. One dissented and said that yes. he, 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 on, on certain grounds or under certain conditions, he would have supported you and Gemma. Tell us more about that. Well, OK, well, first of all, 
the, the six broke down. I mean, the, 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 there was two judgments, okay? One which uh, six judges signed up to it was written by the Chief Justice, and that was against us. The other was written by another judge, a man called uh, uh, Jared Hogan, Mr. Justice Jared Hogan, who was who just six months ago came back from the European courts and, and, and came in and joined the Supreme Court. And immediately when I saw him coming back, I thought, this is astonishing that he's coming. He might be in our case now because he, I mean, Richie, I'm not just saying this. Though. I mean, I've been saying this now for, for a long time. This is possibly one of the greatest judges who ever lived. I'm not exaggerating. He has written the textbooks in recent times in, about Irish law and Irish case law and jurisprudence and so on. He wrote a book about the Irish Constitution, the origins of the Irish Constitution, which is just magisterial. And I used it. I had been using it in the last two years in, in, in the case we were making. So I was astonished that he was in the case. Now, now, so the two judgments, I just want to tell you, Richie, just to contrast the judgments, which is shoots us down. This is the appalling vista judgment, shall we say. Uh, and that is the one that finds cause for it to say, no, we didn't have the basis to to be given judicial review. And this is interesting in all kinds of ways. Uh, but. It's it's kind of a little bit of sleight of hand, you know, and and that's what we kind of expected because if you tackle these questions head on in a kind of a human oriented way and think about the lockdown as an imposition and then say okay well but was there a pandemic or wasn't there but nevertheless that that's the language that you would be I would say would be appropriate yeah. to all this you know was this right. Was it wrong? Did it do damage? Did it more do it more damage? Was it greater? Was the was the cure worse than the disease? These are the questions, right? And they're the questions that were implicit in our in our case, because we were there at the beginning, at in April fifteenth of April we submitted our case and we were basically saying, look, we have a constitution. Where is it? Can can we not? Why can't we walk down the street without being molested by police officers? You know, and harassed. Now. But it seems to me that, you know, the, the government, remembering this, uh, Richie, with all due respect to all concerned, that the, the, the judiciary is one third and the Supreme Court, in effect, is, in, is one third of the constitutional government of the country formerly known as the Republic of Ireland, shall we say. Um, and now they have a thing called separation of powers, which, you know, different interpretations and some people say that's because they have to keep them kind of honest but other people say well that it's kind of a hands-off kind of thing you know don't get involved in our, don't cross the line into our territory which is more and more what it seems to be to mean to these guys anyway the judgment of the judge chief justice and and the others is really focusing on quite technical things i mean it's basically it, it where it kicks us out is on the proportionality question which is you know very simple we were saying that in the, what happened in 2020 was very analogous to a, 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 a habeas corpus situation, whereby in habeas corpus, if somebody is incarcerated, say like the Birmingham Six, somebody takes a friend of theirs, takes a habeas corpus action, and that requires the state to produce the body, habeas corpus, of the person and justify why they are being incarcerated, Absolutely. why they are being held, right? We said this is, the lockdown is analogous to that. Therefore, once we show that something has happened, that there is, in effect, a breach of the fundamental constitutional principles, that there is an infringement of my right to movement or certain things, 
then the state must come in and justify what it has done. Now, the court found very interesting that against that, but it, it found it using Canadian law, which is very odd because it brew up this itself. We didn't think we didn't think about it. We didn't bring this in, but they brought up this thing and, and essentially said that, that we're different to Canada because they would have applied the principle in that way of proportionality, that it was up to the state to justify, whereas this, this judgment is saying that it was up to us to prove that it was disproportionate, which maybe it would have been in a full hearing. But this was an application for leave in order to get our ducks in a row and go into court and make all the case that we wanted to make. And that's why I would say at that level, that's one thing. The other thing that struck me is that there was a misstatement of what we actually were saying in our case. Uh, uh, and I'll just give you what it is it's right here in front of me. And this goes to the core of the problem with the, with the, the Supreme Court, with the Chief Justice's judgment. He says the core of their case, that's us, was the claim that the acts and regulations were part of a global conspiracy to undermine the rights of citizens and the administration of justice. Well, Richie, that might be my opinion. Close enough. But it wasn't our case. No. We never, we never put that in writing. We never put that down as part of our case. Maybe from time to time, in the to and fro in the court between various judges or whatever in question in question and answer, that impression might come across. You know, I wouldn't deny it. I mean, I I said plainly on a few occasions that there was no pandemic, but that was not our case. Our case actually was what Mr. Justice Hogan identified in his uh, judgment, which is really I think I would say this anyway, wouldn't I? But I think people should read it, and I hope to be able to put it up on my website very soon, um, because uh, he's saying that uh, we did have a good case. He said he, he agreed with them on one point on the proportionality question. But he said the second element of our case was predicated on the acceptance of COVID-19 posing a real and grave public health emergency. Uh, and he's re he re emphasized the far-reaching impact of the acts and blah, blah, all that. Noting in particular, as in the history of the state, there has never been a general prohibition on peaceable assembly and public protest, a general restriction on movement and travel, nor general controls on the number of visitors to citizens' houses. In light of all this, uh, the acts and regulations call for the, close judicial, call for clo the closest judicial scrutiny. Consequently, leave should have been granted as a result of the impact of the regulations on a number of constitutional rights and provisions. So and he's basically said, Hogan has basically said that there should have been judicial oversight of yes. these. and he said that the, the Parliament, they rocked this, ought to have monitored all of this. And he also said that, yes, maybe there was justification, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with this, that for a short, on a short-term basis, if there was a real fear of yeah. you know, a pandemic. Yeah, well, he, he, mentions, said... he mentions the date of July the 1st. He says up to July the 1st, the first, it might well be argued that the, this, that this was not disproportionate. But he says after that, it was certainly disproportionate. So three months, he said they, they could have done it for three months. Now, what, yeah. what he said about there should have been judicial oversight and a review into, you know, basically this, you know, first in a First, in, first time in history event, you know, anti, you know, against the constitution. That mm. should be in the papers tomorrow. Most newspapers should pick up that and say that this judge. Well, well no, no, they won't. Really. No, I, I know they won't. Think. I know. I'm, I'm harping on about the same stupid point. But that's yeah. that's that's yeah. that's a win. That 
That's a victory. Well, it is. To, to me, Richie, uh, I, I take great comfort from it because this is a highly intelligent man. You know, he's, I know he doesn't spare us necessarily, giving us the odd kick along the way. I'm not yeah. saying that he does. You know, he, he says that we're a bit over the top in some of our pronouncements and the, and I wouldn't deny that because in the heat of the moment, you know, when you're, you know, when the blood is up, you're inclined yeah. to go a little bit over the top. You know, uh, you know, we're not trained lawyers, we're not trained jurists. You know, but uh, at the same time, you know, he, he, what I would say about him, uh, Richie, it's not what actually comes across from this man is not that he's a great lawyer, and he is, but that he's actually a pretty good human being, that he actually understands what the problem is. Yeah. And and the strange thing is, Richie, I have to say this, that I thought when on the day in the court that he might have been the most Covidian of the, all the judges, because he was wearing a mask almost throughout. Uh, and, 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 you know, but I, that went against my earlier impression of him, that he was a highly objective person. But this is a brilliant judgment. Like he says, I'll just read you a section here where he's talking about the, 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 the inviolability of the family home, of the home. And the idea, you know, that, you know, as he says, he quotes uh, another judge, Hardiman, uh, Adrian Hardiman, that the idea of the inviolability of the home presupposes that in a free society, the dwelling is set apart as a place of repose from the cares of the world. Yeah. Now, that's so beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful like, language. Yeah. That's exactly the way you feel when you arrive in your house. So you should feel, yeah. Yeah. And these, these creeps took that by the scruff of the neck and they dumped it in a bin. Now, just I want to read the second part in because this is really important. Uh, while it is true that Article 4 of the 19, 2020 regulations make exception for the care of vulnerable elderly persons, he's talking about the, the right of people to move freely among each other. He says, the desire for friendship and company is by no means the preserve of the elderly. Human beings are by nature social creatures and the practice of providing hospitality in our houses to relatives, friends and visitors is one with deep historical roots in all societies. One does not need to be a psychologist to realise that isolation and loneliness over a long period can have depressive and other effects on general mood and psychology of many and not just simply the old and vulnerable. You know, this is just solid sense compared to the other technicalities, you know, and the, the slightly twisting of things and all oh, this kind of manoeuvring of, of facts and and and, and uh, language in order to achieve a certain effect, which is exactly what I kind of anticipated. I'm sorry to say, and this is a human judgment. This one judgment from the most eminent jurist in recent Irish history, possibly, certainly, I would say, in the first half dozen in the history of Ireland. And, these and, judges, he's in there in the top ten for sure. And might he be? An ally, and by an ally, I don't mean necessarily of yours and and Gemma's. But if this stuff is ramped up again in the way we think it might be, I don't know what. Well, he's on the Supreme Court now. I mean, is he yeah. somebody who could be petitioned in the future? I don't know if they tried well, it again. I, I, that that's an interesting question, and I, I I try and come back to it. But I think that the further of what I say, what you've touched on something very important that I felt coming away was that, because in the course of this thing, I mean, rather cheekily, from time to time, I've said in both the High Court and in the Court of Appeal, when I was getting really ratty with the judge who was getting even rattier with me, I was, I remember saying it to the High Court judge, <laughs> I don't know how I got away with it, but I said, judge, you are not the judge. History is the judge. History will be the judge. And I said the same thing in the Court of Appeal. And 
this, it seems to me, is that of all those judges, those seven judges, the only one who can be certain that he can sleep easy with an easy conscience, given where we are now and where you know and I know we are now. Yeah. With in the consequences economic that are about to unfold, the food shortage, which is all down to the lockdowns, the the the, the vax debts, the die off, the injuries, the appalling, all of the things that are happening and going to happen, that I wouldn't like to be one of the other six judges, who have had this opportunity to, you know, as it were, do a Julius Caesar say, well, it's not our problem now. It's down to the courts again, and it, you know, all they had to do. You see, this is the thing, Richie, about this that this is a, 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 an application for leave. That's all it is. We didn't even get into the court no. in terms of making a substantive case, even though the judgment is as if the whole case had been heard and that it had all been put before the court or should have been. Well, of course it shouldn't have been, because that if it had been and if it could have been, there wouldn't have been any need to have a full hearing subsequently, you know. Uh, but we're here now and, 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 and you see, we're like this is such a small thing and yet you kind of forget that it's gone on so long and there's been so much paper used that it's almost as if that we were actually all the time talking about the substantive issue and but what, yeah, what we were talking yeah. about Richard, was what always happens in these cases is the judge picks up your papers you might have say 30 fool's cap pages in a, in a, in a, in a file and he flicks through it he might read the first three pages, he skips the next 10, he reads another two, he reads the last three. And he says, OK, go ahead, rubber stamp, you're done, you're out of here. We'll set a date, whatever, come back in next week or whatever. Yeah. Now, now, further, if we look, and, and Gemma did this and she looked into this, there have been innumerable uh, judicial reviews over the last couple of years for all kinds of things to do with the lockdown. Not the substantive issues as such, but personal grievances and so on. People who say, went there's one woman who I think she went back to Lithuania or somewhere and um, uh, her, her social welfare was cut off while she was away. She was going off for a holiday. And when she got back, her social welfare was cut off. And she took an action on that basis. And, and, and she got the judicial review. I don't know if the case has come up yet or if she won it, but she got the judicial review on the nod. We were actually fighting for the most fundamental rights of human beings in Ireland. And it took us two and two, 27 months to get a no, an absolute no, having been to three every level of the courts. When in fact, this could have been sorted out. Okay, let's fight it out in the high court. Let's let all this happen in the high court. They didn't want us to get into court even. No, and that's what people might might not understand today. It's very good that you reiterated that because it's gone on now for, for so long and you've been to the Supreme Court. Um, it's good to point out to listeners that they didn't get to make the argument. That's the no. whole point here. They didn't get to go to the High Court to challenge the constitutionality of the lockdown. Ultimately, the Supreme Court upheld the Court yeah. of Appeal. And, and, you see, you see yeah. Richie, like, this is why Hogan's judgment is so good, because it, 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 it resonates with what is essentially our case. Yeah. Rhetorically, it was just like, for God's sake, can they do this? Should they be allowed to do it? We, yeah. we, I hate to, I'm not cutting you off now. Um, we're, yeah. we're 23 minutes. If you want to stay with me for another 10 before we finish, you're welcome sure, to sure. do that. I'm delighted to have you on. I love having you on. But um, I didn't interrupt you 15 minutes ago because I would have been wrong to because what you were saying was vital. But um, there is some pretty serious news uh, developing here in the UK. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, and Sajid Javid, 
the health secretary have resigned from the government. They've resigned from the cabinet, saying oh that they, they, they can't in good conscience um, support Boris Johnson. The leader of the Labour Party, a guy called Keir Starmer, I'm not saying this to you, I know you know this, is um, now urging the cabinet to remove uh, Boris Johnson. And that will be the second time in 10 years that I'm right, because my feeling, John, here is is that whatever is pushing or whomever is pushing these agendas, I believe that their, their next move is a change of government. I believe Labour and the Lib Dems will form a coalition government next and they will take the agenda on uh, further still. But I don't believe it'll be Keir Starmer. Um, and uh, I think what we're going to have now is Johnson will be gone by tomorrow. Yes. There will be a three-month um, navel-gazing Conservative Party leadership contest. At the end of that, there'll be a general election. Sometime in the autumn, there'll be a general election. It'll be After that, it'll be Labour and the Lib Dems, maybe the Greens, maybe a rainbow coalition, and they will take the agenda on steroids then. They will go even further. That's my ridiculous prediction. So that's big news developing. Uh, the two biggest positions, really, apart from the Home Secretary, the Chancellor and the Health Secretary have just gone and said uh, we can't support Johnson anymore. He admitted earlier this afternoon yeah, that, yeah, he did know that this guy... Um, um, uh, Pinch, Chris Pinch is it Chris Pinch or Chris Pinchman he, that he did know that there were allegations about this guy sexual impropriety that he did know there was um, um, rumours about the guy before before he gave him the deputy chief whip job uh, it must be inevitable uh, John that tomorrow morning Johnson if he doesn't go tonight he'll yeah, be that, that's kind of been on the card since that no confidence vote because that was so close when you consider all the various aspects of it you know, the fact that, you know, I think about 100 of the, the MPs were either in the government or, you know, somehow tied in so they would have voted for it. So the rest broke down about 50-50. And once that happens, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to, that's it, your your time is up. It's only a matter of when. And this is obviously the final straw now it's done. And I think, yeah, he will be gone. Uh, I, I'm personally not sorry. I I, I mean, I, I, I kind of used to have a, kind of a certain warm feeling for jo- Johnson when he was a journalist. He's very funny and very clever journalist. Uh, but as a prime minister, he's been shocking, I think. Absolutely shocking, yeah. He, um, yeah, as much as anybody else, Johnson, you know, as, as much as anybody in politics, as much as anybody in the media, was adamant from day one that he wasn't going to listen to eminent scientists from Ivy League universities around the world saying that lockdowns are dreadful, that masks were uh, were useless. And you know, a lot of backbench Tories, one or two of them who were on this programme, genuinely horrified. Like these are, you know, um, constituency MPs who probably, probably generally, uh, probably, my, my listeners will probably shoot me for saying this, but they're not all aware, I don't think, that there's an agenda. I think they're all useless, but they're not all aware that there's an agenda. I mean, they were genuinely shocked. Guys like Roger Gale, uh, Sir Roger Gale, guys like Desmond Swain, they couldn't believe that a Conservative politician would tell businesses that they had to lock down yeah. under penalty of you know being arrested. And that people, you, you said it all earlier, John, that people would be told, get in home, you shouldn't be out on the street. Um, so, so Johnson was tyrannical, he's horrible. But um, whatever comes after him, and I, I believe the next Prime Minister will be uh, not Starmer, but somebody else in Labour, maybe one of the women, maybe. It'll be Lib Dems well, as well, and it'll be it'll be totalitarianism on steroids. Yeah, right? well, you see, that's the thing, uh, Richie, that what, one thing you do know now, that it doesn't really matter what no. the voters think or say, no. or, you know, that at the end of the day, the outcome will be what the, the secret unknowns desire. Yeah. 
and that that person will stick the boot in when as required. And it does seem to me that we are heading in, back into a, a phase now of sticking the boot in. Uh, you know, interestingly, in the context of the the, 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 the court today, now the timing of it, you know, I mean, it's very interesting that this, this court, in our case, not bringing it back, but, uh, you know, we were told on the on the 15th of March that the judgment would would be in three weeks. That's like 110 days ago or something like that. Uh, like, but now it comes out, and then the, the the day before, the government is ramping up the measures and bringing about bringing back the masks fourth, and the distancing yeah, and, and all more, of that the fourth nonsense and all this sort of stuff. You just have to wonder, like, well, you, you do more than wonder at this stage, you yeah. know. Uh, and so I think that that's kind of you know that's that's where we are now, and and uh, uh, the 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 this is going to be a rough winter because you see what's going on as we discussed before is this food shortage. All of this is engineered, as we know, the the, the tax on the food factories and warehouses and so on, and the tax on cattle. And see what's going on now in 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 the Netherlands, you know, where the farmers are revolting and and uh, they're on the streets and and they have the support of eighty percent of the population. And nobody's reporting it. Do you know something, John? As an old socialist, during my radio days, I believed the climate change claims, these man-made CO2 claims. I believed it. It was almost like, just one of those things, you know, I, I, I don't do it anymore. I don't pigeonhole myself anymore. But, you know, you assign yourself an identity. Well, I'm a socialist. And then whatever the socialists are saying, well, then you go along with it. I, I believed it. I genuinely for a time, I think, in the mid-1990s, I kind of feared it. You know, Al Gore's film, yeah, Jesus, we're, 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 we're in serious trouble. But, but what I began to do then was I began to seek out, in the mid-2000s, I began to start reading scientists um, from around the world. And as somebody who prides himself on, on his fairness and his research, it's all I have is my fairness and my research. I would read a scientist like Ian Plymer, say, Australia, or, or, or somebody else in America, and I would distrust them, so I would go and try and link them to, um, you know, fossil fuel companies, oil companies or whatever. I would try and find links to donations they got for their research and all sorts of stuff. And I couldn't find any. And then I began to look at all the research myself. And I began to notice that they were telling whoppers of lies on television programmes, basically saying that there was consensus. And yeah. I began to realise that there wasn't really any consensus and that a lot of very credible scientists who had written books that had been peer-reviewed, that they were saying things like, well, no, um, the atmosphere actually contains a lot of gases and there's only 0.14% CO2. Uh, temperature doesn't follow carbon. Carbon follows temperature. The sun and all this sort of stuff. And then yeah. I realised that I, I came to my own conclusion, and, and this is just my personal belief, that it is a nonsense. We are a dirty race of bastards. We are unnecessarily polluting rivers and seas. But they they, they tend to conflate those two things. Um, yeah, and wrap, don't yeah. Well, there's yeah, that is true. Yeah, and uh, but you see, like what's going on in the Netherlands is apparently that they're attacking. They're trying to close pe pe farmers down yeah. because of nitrogen. Yes, you know, but like the air is two thirds nitrogen. Two thirds. You know, like. This is just complete craziness, and it's clearly part of an agenda. I mean, you know, right around the world now, we've been seeing these things and the culling of cattle, you know, the culling of, uh, of, of steer over in, in, in Kansas there a couple of weeks ago, you know, uh, where, or, you know, where the 10,000 10, cattle died in a matter of a few days. Like, 
out of out of you know whereas cattle in texas where there's a similar temperature are not affected yeah. you know all this sort of stuff the weather that that you know and we've noticed this in the west of ireland the last uh, i've been trying to grow some spuds and things like and the ground the soil is so cold yet even now it's beginning to warm up now but only now like and it should have warmed up in april you know like there's something seriously wrong and i mean you know you can't even talk about this because again you get the conspiracy theory no nonsense you know, and I've talked about this before. That's another spell phrase, you know, that it stops people looking at anything that is in any way problematic for this elite who want to control everything and, and plunder everything. Uh, because the word, cons the term conspiracy theory is, I think I may have said to you before, like it's an invention of the CIA. That's right. And what it does, it, it flips the, the sinister elements of the word conspiracy onto the word theory. So, it becomes a sinister concept. But I mean, a, a conspiracy, what is a conspiracy theorist, really, Richie, is a good journalist. Isn't it? Yeah. And and a conspiracy is a conspiracy, like it or lump it. If you can yeah. connect two or three different groups of people or um, to, to an agenda or to an event, well, then you have so proof are, of a conspiracy. Who are the greatest, two greatest conspiracy theorists in, in, in the world ever? Con arguably, now this is a big argument and there's another side to it, but Woodward and Bernstein yeah. would have been... <laughs> Conspiracy theorists, yeah. and 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 they took down the president of the United States. You know, now that's a complicated story because there's another side to it. But you know what I mean? That. Like that, that that's all good journalists in the old days used to set out to develop conspiracy theories. Theories about if they came across evidence of a conspiracy, then they developed a theory and a, a basis uh, of proving this this conspiracy. That's right. But now. The conspiracy theorists, you see, it's, it's, they fudge them with this new word conspiracist, because now that's a very sinister thing to be. So, you know, it's, 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 it's this is something that I, I try to, to, to educate people to, because you need to be able to do two things. First of all, you need to be able to unthink yourself, to think yourself out of these accusations. And then you need to be able to answer them. Uh, if you get an opportunity. Now, you won't get an opportunity in the kind of context that this generally happens. You won't get it on Twitter, for example. But you might get the opportunity to, to speak about it in, a, in an interview or if you if you have a, you know, a platform like, say, on Substack, write a, a little article or an essay about it. You know, and that's I think that that's the way the world will fight back eventually against these uh, sound bites. A venomous sound bites, you know, that Twitter is, you know, majors in is giving a little bit more space to uh, to elucidate and expand certain things and 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 just stand by that and say okay if you want to call me names but there's there's a thousand word article i wrote about that whole thing so you can you know there it is read that and tell me if that word sticks to me absolutely and if you've got a problem with it well write a rebuttal then or Better than writing a rebuttal. We talked about this so often, you and I. How many of those last half hour panels on the Late Late Show were you on? Or, or 40 minutes when you yeah. actually got to hear a few different points of view and nobody melted down because John well, Waters was, disagreed with them or, or whatever. Yeah, well, that you, Richie, you were expected to disagree. Yeah. You were, and you were expected to fight your corner. And if you didn't, you wouldn't get back on. No, you wouldn't get back on. And the audiences have to make their own minds up. Gabe Bourne, to his eternal credit, kept his own opinions out of it. He did, yeah. But he was good at stirring it, you know. Yeah. He was great. He was great at stirring it, provoking you, you know, and slagging you and getting you wired up, you know. Uh, no, he, like that's. They were great days. I mean, this is the thing, Richie. You know, this is the feeling I have. I think I may maybe I said this to you before, but this is the feeling I have about the present moment. That it's almost as if. 
there's something so surreal about it. Like it's like we slipped out of time or something. Uh, because it's like, you know, we were trundling along there in the 80s and we were moving towards something, you know, and we, some some moment of, you know, improvement, shall we say, or whatever in general, in lots of different ways. But it's like at some point, I don't know exactly when, but sometime maybe in the last 30 years, we stopped, turned around and started going back. Going back, yeah. And now we're somewhere around 1937. On the way, God knows where. In all kinds of ways, other than technological, I mean, I mean, in terms of ethical development, I mean, in terms of rights development, of freedom, of liberty, of, you know, the ability to just speak your mind and the ability to just be left alone in, to live your life and not to have all kinds of uh, lobby groups in, with jackboots on, prancing over your toes, you know, uh, that's everywhere you go now. It's like, you know, that you're confronted by these victimologies when in fact you don't care. You couldn't care less. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's another thing we could have talked about. Um, a bisexual young woman who presents for LBC said something truly extraordinary yesterday. I picked up on it and I used it in my monologue. She said she the thing that hurts her the most is when she tells people her sexuality and they tell her that they don't care. She said yeah. they should care because it matters, because it's her identity and all this nonsense. And I went, in, I went into this, I said, we're about to run out of time for today. And I have a mad evening ahead of me, John, because after we finish speaking, I'm disassembling the studio because it's being built again, the radio studio. It's being disassembled, taken apart and built again with um, a brand new ultra modern digital desk. So uh, it's just going to be mayhem here for the next couple uh, of days, but I'm excited about that. It's it's Great. like getting, like getting a new car, something I can only dream of. <laughs> to be yes, honest. and we'll probably talk. We'll talk a lot more sense through that digital new uh, stuff. You I, know? We'll, we'll sound better. Well, you sound lovely anyway. I'll sound smooth <laughs> and suave. It'll, it'll, it'll make come me sound out good. In perfectly. <laughs> Do you know I'm going to? I'm going to sound like Win Davies or someone like that. When I just, our listeners won't know who Win Davies unless they're Welsh. I'm trying to think of somebody else with an amazing voice. I don't know, but anyway. That's yeah. how, how it's going to be. Can I just say, and I mean it, I don't do uh, uh, the soft talk, and we've never met properly to be, you know, proper friends, that we've only ever met yeah. via this. As an Irishman, I'm proud of what you and Gemma done. I, I mean it when I say, you know, I hope there's a lot of ashamed um, people with a public profile, whether that be entertainers, whether that be politicians or broadcasters in Ireland, they should be ashamed of themselves. I think you did incredibly well. I think um, the, the dissenting judge, Mr. Hogan, I think you've had a victory there. And uh, I think you should be proud of yourselves, both of you. And I do mean that. Yeah, well, I, I, I feel that, Richie. I, I mean, it's, it's been a hard day. It's been a hard few days thinking about it. But I, 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 was, I was very shocked in a certain, in a very positive way by the fact that he was so clear. Uh, you know, and it was very, I just finished on this fact, Richie. I, I noticed that the, the, only three judges appeared and the Chief Justice wasn't one of them. So another judge was reading out the Chief Justice's judgment. And when they sat down, I noticed there, the two, the judge, and there was a woman judge beside them. And their body language is very telling because they were not looking at me. You know, they were not looking my direction. I mean, there was only two sides to look and they weren't looking at me, right? And then I kind of looked over at Mr. Justice Hogan. And I can only describe his demeanor as chirpy. He was smiling away and he was shifting his papers and he was like almost whistling to himself. I thought, that's strange. He's not a sadistic man, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. So if they're going to dump on me, he's like, why, why is he so cheerful? Like, he'd be doing the same. And that's why. Because he had a clear conscience, Richie. Because he did the right thing. 
You go to johnwaters.substack.com, please. Bookmark John's website. There are lots and lots, hundreds of articles on there. One of the great broadsheet writers, one of the great columnists in, in, in my lifetime in, uh, in our country. Thanks again. And the fact you're exhausted and you still came on here today. Thanks for doing that, John. Thanks, Richie. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. God bless and bye for now. John Waters, folks, live on the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's programme. Um, may the road rise with him. What, what a great guy he is. That's um, pretty much it for the programme. Let me tell you the way things are going. I told you last week, we're having a studio rebuild. We are. We, we've, um, when I say we, it's, it's Paul Ripley and myself. have got a brand new digital broadcast console. It's space age stuff. It really is great, right? And I've been looking at it for a long time. And um, these things are expensive. So it's through your support over the years. Anyway, look, I've got it. It's a massive big thing. So the carpenter coming to the uh, studio shortly to, uh, to put the furniture in because it has to rest in furniture to, uh, to, do, to do all of that. Uh, and from tomorrow afternoon, Paul Ripley, my engineer, is going to be with me. I'm not going to be on air with you tomorrow and probably not on Thursday either. And for that, I apologise, but that is, that is, there's nothing I can do about that. What I will do is I'll stay in touch with you uh, through the website and on, on, say it for me, on maybe on Facebook. And I'll put some photographs up and stuff like that. And um, I keep you posted on, 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 on how it's going, right? But it's a big deal, it's stripping down a studio and building it up again. Uh, anybody who knows anything about it will tell you that. So that's just the way it's going to be, I'm afraid. But as I said, I'll keep you posted over the next uh, day or two. Thanks so much to John Waters. Now, that means that the show will not be repeating on my website. I'm basically going to go off air now completely. It's going to go silent. It wouldn't. I, I would ordinarily now start the repeats and it would play over and over and over again. Uh, everything is going to be powered down. However, uh, that doesn't affect the podcast. So the program, in about 25 minutes' time, will be on Podomatic, iTunes and all the usual podcast providers. So keep that in mind. So those who get it on podcast, who might have come in on the end of this, it'll be on podcast and it'll be downloadable today's show with John. That's very important because this was an important show. He's an important guest and he had some important things to say. So maybe spread the word about that. Or maybe I'll do an article if I get some time in the next hour or so on the website just to say it's on Podomatic now. But it won't be streaming on the website overnight. Nor will it be on TuneIn. Okay? So uh, there you are. Right, thanks again to John. Well done to him and to uh, Gemma O'Doherty, of course, who was with him all the way through that day. They took that case uh, together, two Irish journalists, and uh, congratulations to them for doing it. That's it. Uh, Sajid Javid is gone. Rishi Sunak is gone. My predictions, look, they're not worth a hat of crabs, as they say in Dunmore East in Waterford. That, that means take them with a, with, with a pinch of salt. Uh, Boris Johnson should be gone by tonight or tomorrow morning. You'll have a leadership contest then, which will take several months. There will be an election in the autumn. This is hilarious. None of this will happen by nature of the fact that I said it will. And there will be a Labour government or, more likely, a Labour Lib Dem coalition. And that will take the agenda to the next level. Horrifyingly. He says, thanks for listening. Again, thanks to John. It is um, bye for me. Speak real soon from a brand new studio. All bells and whistles, I can't wait. Leaving it with Randy Crawford. Bye. Bye now.